0: Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio, where we'll talk about news, education, and opportunities for small businesses on the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street and in Washington, D.C. I'm Michelle Yancey.
1: And I'm Kyle Todd. Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio.
0: Carlos, Aaron, and Aaron, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the neighborhood. So are you fully aware of the levels of excitement that we're all feeling about NETO opening up here in the neighborhood?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, you certainly can, actually. Uh, even today, constantly, every day, we get neighbors uh, coming by saying hello, and uh, you can definitely feel the excitement. So, yeah, absolutely.
0: We're very excited. So where exactly is Nido going to be located?
2: Nido's located at 2214 Rhode Island Avenue Northeast, um, right across from the Family Dollar.
0: Why did you choose Rhode Island Avenue Main Street for your new location?
2: Actually, Erin uh, my partner is uh, has been instrumental in that. I'll, I'll hand that over to her. She knows.
3: Uh, yeah, I um, moved out to Hyattsville about two years ago and have been driving up and down Rhode Island Avenue since then. And partly is a little bit selfish because I, I, you know, drive by the blocks. And I'm like, there should be something here. I like would love to be hanging out here all the time. And um, there's just such a great infrastructure already for commercial spaces to go in. And um, so I, talked Carlos approached me about opening up a place, and I was like. I have a spot you should come check it out and he, I convinced him
2: <laughs> yeah and, uh, and she, she brought me over to the space and uh, we walked around the block a little bit and then she brought me over to Zeke's mm-hmm. and uh, for me Zeke's was kind of a uh, turning point kind of looked at and said okay I see where this is going and, uh, kind and I of... was
3: just lucky that uh, Kyle was actually in there Kyle Todd was actually in there when we went in and introduced uh got introduced to him and met the whole zeke's family and it's it's just been since then everybody's been so accommodating and friendly and i think that's really what sort of tipped him over the edge for pursuing that space
0: that's great so carlos and aaron you all are business partners in this venture is this your first restaurant together
2: this is uh our first restaurant together where we're partners um Aaron and I have been working together for almost eight years now. Um, we were together in a, in a restaurant in Adams, Morgan. Uh, and then we, when I opened up Boundary Road, I brought her in as a manager to help me out with that. And she was uh, key in, in creating that uh, beverage program and, and uh, managing over there. And uh, so we, we, we've had a long relationship now and even longer. And um, now, now we're together for at least 100 years. Oh,
0: <laughs> sounds good. So how will Nido be unique when compared to other restaurants in the area? I know we don't have a lot of restaurants (laughs) at the the moment, but that's changing. So how will it be unique?
3: Um, Well, I mean, what we're doing is, um, yeah, we really want to be part of the growth and development of this neighborhood. And, um, I mean, we purchased the space, so um, we're sort of, like, in it for the long haul. Um, And it's not – we're not just opening up – like another pub or whatnot. We're really, really devoted to the food and to the drink program um, in making it really, really, really excellent. Um, And it's going to be, um, we're saying Western Mediterranean influenced, um, which sort of like hits, it's loosely, it's loose um, purposefully. It hits sort of like Spanish, Italian, Greek um, styles of cooking and the food. Um, And it's really more about the style of eating where um, it's, 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 Food that's meant to be shared, um, and to sit down and be eaten with bread, um, and to go with drinking, and, and sort of have this communal element to it. Um, and so that's really what we're shooting for. And I think uh, I think it'll be unique um, in D.C. area, which I think it, we're really really excited about.
2: The, the other thing for me is that uh, I mean, if you look, walk in, when you walk into a space, when you see into a space, I think you'll see that it's it's not the typical it's not the typical um, kind of look to it. Um, you know, it has, uh, it, it, Aaron has been amazing at putting together the design, um, uh, the, the tile, the, the color scheme, the, the lighting. Everything is, uh, you know, very, very uh, put together at a very personal level. Um, that coupled also, we're, we're doing um, things with, uh, uh, with uh, Geostellar. We're putting solar panels on our roof. I don't, think that's, uh, I don't think in D.C. you see that in restaurants. I mean, that's unique in, in the entire city, not just uh, Woodridge alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so our sustainability and, and, and environmental approach is uh, unique, I think.
0: So Chef Aaron Wright, for those that don't know, can you give us some examples of Mediterranean dishes?
4: Sure. Um, one of my favorites is um, just a, like a grilled sardine or a marinated sardine. Um, other things would be like if, if you have um, – uh, let's go to Spain. Um, croquetas, uh, which would be, you know, they could they could have ham in them. They could have uh, potatoes, uh, shrimp. Uh, another thing that I really love, um, again, is uh, seafood. Is a, a bacala, which is a salt cod, um, and basically it's just a preserved cod uh, that they that they that they cure with salt, and then you kind of get some of that saltiness out of there before you serve it, and uh just a simple fritter with those with that uh you could put something else with it but um I, I really love that it's just simple um what else uh octopus is another thing um thinking of mediterranean um thinking seafood so like a lot of the things when you ask me that question um have to do with seafood because um that's just kind of one of the things about that region mm-hmm. um but i mean the list kind of goes on and on you could you could talk about italian uh pasta you could you know caponata is a is a sicilian uh vegetable relish which is easily um, mediterranean mm-hmm. um i i think uh there's so many things there's, there's hams um all over that region and uh more seafood. You have squid, um, grilled, well, fried. That sounds
0: pretty tasty. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what's on the menu. That's really important. Any ideas yet?
4: Sure. Um, it's it's going to be kind of uh, like the plates are going to be designed so that you can have several different things, like almost like tapas style, um, and you can just put together your own meal, or you know, have a have a large group of people there sharing. And it's going to start with snacks, um, which. It'd be as simple as, as uh different kinds of nuts, olives, um, crostinis uh with different uh toppings. Um we're we're planning on doing like house made ricotta cheese. Um another example of of like a small plate might be um grilled spring onions with some kind of sauce, um, maybe some cheese or you know, maybe marinated asparagus. Um some kind of mushroom dish, whether it be like a, a soup or just some simple roasted mushrooms with herbs.
0: So do you all have the menu prepared already, pretty much?
4: We do. We, we definitely have like a, a starting point and we might tweak it a little bit.
3: Well, um, the idea is um, it's, you know, seasonal changing menu. So oh, what okay. we're opening with, you know, is going to be rotating, I mean, constantly, if not daily. And um, the the sort of It's, it's more about the concept, sort of the, um, like the style of cooking that comes out of those regions and, and, and sort of the simple preparation and using the freshest ingredients and, um, the herbs and things like that, that, um, that are seasonal at the time and and creating very carefully prepared, simple food that just highlights, um, highlights the, you know, highlights the ingredients that you're using, um, the best meals that I've had in that region. And I've lived in Italy and spent some time, um, traveling in Spain and, um, it's the things that stick with you are the, the like the simplest dishes but it's like you're you're in madrid for mushroom season and you just get a plate of the most beautiful mushrooms and there's just a fried egg on it and that's it and and it's yep. just something that's just so luxurious about it but it's the simplest thing um and so that's sort of what we're emulating um i think and just to to create things that sort of stay with people because i don't know they sort of hit you somewhere um but it's it's kind of that philosophy of cooking um, rather than, you know, and then we can play with that uh, within the realms of Mediterranean cuisine. Well,
0: that sounds tasty. I'm getting hungry right now. So how is the renovation progressing? I know you talked a little bit about that. How's that going?
2: It's going really well. We uh, we took over the space in uh, late January, and we um, we had planned on an a early May opening, and uh, honestly, we're not too far. We're, we're actually going to do a late May, early June, so we're, we're about a month behind. But uh, it's going really fast. I think uh, if, if you speak to anyone who's done construction or renovation in the city, it's. Uh, and, and speaking from experience, my uh, my other place took six months later, uh, later than I ex- anticipated to well, open. And it
3: was also a much longer. Play, like build out. As yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, but the
2: renovation, fortunately, has been uh, has been progressing nicely. Yeah, that's
3: good. You all have been posting
0: some great pictures of the construction on Facebook, and the tile is quite beautiful. Um, I know renovations can have some surprises. What has happened so far that might have surprised you in the renovation process?
2: I'll be honest with you. We we've been surprised at a positive. Level. Um, you know, uh, one of the first surprises that, that uh, we were very happy about was when we were opening up uh, some of the drywall and we saw at Skylight.
0: I heard about that. That they hid.
2: Very exciting day. Yeah, we both just looked at each other and said, "All right, that's great." And of course, I I, I thought, "It's like "Hmm, that's going to cost us some more money," (laughs) but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Um, And and it's kind of been like that, you know. And and we worked around the the minor, the the very small issues, which they're having many. But uh, it's it's been uh, it's been one pleasant surprise after another, coupled also with uh, you know those surprises are are kind of they can be that can be tackled with uh, the with the right people and, and again I I mentioned Kyle Kyle introduced me to uh, Tom at DC Facades and, and um, you know it was a surprise there that we can get we could get some assistance in, in redoing the facade so another pleasant surprise mm-hmm. you know we got some help from uh, you know Rhode Island Avenue and Main Street to help us uh, you know create the space uh, to the to the way we really want it.
0: Yeah. So you talked about May or June. Is there going to be a grand opening, and if so, what might that look like? Or do you all not we'll know?
3: definitely have a grand opening? <laughs> um, I mean, generally, uh, you know, opening up a restaurant is um, one of the craziest things I've ever done. Um, it's, it's it's so stressful and so much work, and everybody's working, you know, sixty hours a week, or you know, it's just everybody's like sort of on edge, but it's also. Uh, Amazing at the same time. Um, and you kind of try to prepare yourself as much as possible going into it, um, doing some like smaller, you know, friends and family. And um both of us have lived in DC for a long time. He has family here, so definitely. I mean, my family's pestering me about like when's it gonna happen? When are we flying in there? Like, <laughs> but uh it's it'll probably be in stages, and then we'd love to have some sort of neighborhood event. Um, and just invite people in the neighborhood and people that have been showing us support um, around us, you know, on a daily basis and have some sort of small event for them as well and then go into opening on a on a slower night, like a, a Monday or a Tuesday or something like that, and, and, and then, just, you know, see what happens.
0: So when there's a new kid, new neighbor, or new restaurant on the block, the locals are curious, as you know. How have you been received by other businesses and have you met any of the other business owners in the area?
3: Um, we have. Um, I mean... We go to Zeke's daily, (laughs) so we've definitely started a relationship with them, and we can't wait to um, carry their coffee and bring the staff in there and, you know, do cuppings and tastings of all their coffees and find what works for us, and, you know, they're excited to train the staff on, uh, you know, the knowledge, the extreme knowledge that they have of coffee, which is great. Um, We're actually working with um, John a couple doors down to do the upholstery for the benches in the... In the restaurant as well Um, and it's an incredible space you walk in there his studio is amazing Um, but everyone's just been incredibly supportive you know bespoke um, art enables good food Um, we've just been making I think really good connections and it's it's been fantastic
2: and we appreciate them greatly because we know how difficult it is to deal with uh, construction and uh, they've been they've been really wonderful so yeah
0: so when and notice I said when Nido is hugely successful, what will the next step be? Have you all thought about that?
3: Good night's sleep. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, I, I, think, I think the focus is entirely on Nido, And uh, the next step is uh, just, you know, working hard at making sure that, uh, we, we, that the, the dream, the goal of, of, of Nido actually is realized fully for the neighborhood. And honestly, sleep is, is one of those things, but uh, certainly is, is, we're going to focus just on Nido for now
4: right just right. keeping it that way
3: yeah keeping it successful i mean and i think that uh, the most successful in the, in the restaurants that i emulate out there they um they continue to grow and they, they continue to sort of push themselves and they don't stay static and so yep. i think we want to we want to see where we can take it
0: sounds good so finally if our listeners want to learn more about Need dc where should they look
2: Right now, uh, the Facebook page is our primary uh, 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 kind of portal to the public. We're working on our, on our website. Um, but I'll be honest with you, come by. Come by, knock on the door, walk in. I love to show people the space. I especially love showing people, and you're going to have to tolerate me because I'll, I'll take up all your time showing you pictures of what it looked like before and what it looks like now. So come by, say hello, talk to our chef, talk to Aaron, who's going to be the general manager there. Um, we love people coming by.
0: Well, you're within walking distance of my house, so you may see me very soon. <laughs> yeah, great. So thank you. Thanks, Aaron, thank you. Aaron, thank and
1: Carlos.
2: Thank you for having us. You can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter on Nido DC. That's uh, N-I-D-O-D-C.
1: All right. Our next guest today is Melissa Jest from the uh, National Trust for Historic Preservation. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Melissa.
5: Thank you for having me.
1: So you uh, are heading up a new program relatively new program within the uh, Historic Trust, and, and just a, a quick disclaimer, the National Trust for Historic Preservation uh, started the Main Street Program, and we are a Main Street Program, so um, I've got a little bit of an in, just
5: a little bit of an N. <laughs> Just a tad. Just a tad.
1: <laughs> anyway, um, so you have, uh, you're with a relatively new program called the Historic Properties Redevelopment Program. Yes. Tell us about it.
5: Uh, I call it HPRP for short. So if you hear me say that a lot, that's just so I don't wear myself and you out uh, giving the long title. But uh, fortunately, the HPRP uh, started last year, so it's about a year old, uh, as a partnership with the 1772 Foundation. And they are headquartered in New England, and they are the premier supporter of what we call revolving fund programs. Um, but we 're trying to uh, rebrand those programs uh, as historic property redevelopment because a lot of folks when they hear revolving funds they 're like what what is that uh, And we know people know what historic properties are, and most people know what redevelopment means the reuse of those properties so um, but the seventeen seventy two Foundation and the National Trust thought that there was a need to share information, to spread the word about HPRPs. So I'm here to to do that, and that's why this is a wonderful opportunity to let folks know that uh, preservation is really a tool that can be used by almost anyone. And um, my efforts include opportunities like this. We have a monthly e-news that we send out to a growing list of preservation and redevelopment professionals. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be able to attend various conferences and shake hands and network with people who uh, often say they're glad to see preservation at the table. And, uh, of course, point to the various HPRPs, the revolving funds around the country. So that's kind of it in a nutshell.
1: So preservation, obviously, is is an important part of Main Street programs. Uh, and how how. So in a, in a community when they when they're thinking about well there's there seems to be a thought that redevelopment and preservation are almost on opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, yes. So talk a little bit about why historic preservation uh, and and redevelopment are not on the opposite. Why why is this important for successful business communities?
5: Well, what I like to start with is the fact that most existing properties, uh, we call them historic properties, uh, have proven themselves. They, they have stood around for 50 or more years. Uh, they're well built, some say better built than some of the newer uh, construction, and they add to our sense of place. They add to our feel. Uh, when we think of home, when we think of neighborhoods, these existing properties uh, add to that. So I start with kind of that basic. And then when I talk about redevelopment, it's merely the reuse of those buildings, being able to go uh, into the interiors and and refashion uh, what you need as far as space on the interior. Also making sensitive additions on the rear of those buildings uh, that have stood the test of time and that will rebound quicker in their value than a newly constructed building. So... um, we are actually on the same sides of, of of that imaginary fence when we talk about redevelopment. A lot of folks think, "Oh, that means you're going to knock everything down and you're going to build a lot of new buildings, and and everybody will flock, you know, to our neighborhood because it's new and it's shiny." Unfortunately, the National Trust, through the Preservation Green Lab, have uh, done comprehensive studies that have shown that people actually flock to existing neighborhoods. They flock to existing buildings because of some of those reasons that I stated earlier, which are that it adds to our our sense of place. You know where you are when you get off of the red line and you're walking up Rhode Island Avenue uh, towards 10th Street, those beautiful arts and crafts-style bungalows and four squares and revival-style houses that are greeting you as you're making your way up the avenue. You know where you are. Right. So um, that's why we like to align ourselves with redevelopers and, and, and bring preservation discussions you know, to the fore so that we can see that we have more in common then not sure.
1: So, uh, are you working with, or do you plan to work uh, with, let's say local local historic preservation groups? Um, and and the reason I ask that is you you know, we've talked about uh, identifying historic properties on Rhode Island Avenue. We, I know there are some, um, and we get we get a little bit of a, an eyebrow raise from. From business owners thinking oh that that means that you're going to try to restrict what I can do in my business um, and and I know that there are some some more um, how should we say um, assertive historic preservation organizations that that may be a little bit more restrictive in uh, their approval processes um, and we we certainly try to to give the message, just as you've done, that, that preservation doesn't have to be seen as a limiting prospect for for business. Correct. Um, do you have guidelines that you try to develop or work with um, historic preservation organizations?
5: Yes. Uh, fortunately, there are already existing guidelines. Um, you may be familiar with Kyle. Uh, the Secretary of Interior has already developed some guidelines for sensitive rehabilitation. So. What I am hoping to do uh, working with uh, local organizations and local businesses is to talk about those uh, rehabilitation standards and how they apply and how they're more flexible than people think when it comes to investing in your property. Uh, we definitely want to support investment, and I think bringing an understanding of these standards will help people um, invest positively or sensitively. A lot of people put a lot of money into devaluing their property. Yes. They go in and they rip out, you know, uh, old growth wood and and uh, brick and timbers and other fabric that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, have stood the test of time. And they go and they buy the new wood that soaks up water like a sponge. And they go and buy those hollow cement Uh, blocks that crack up if you stand on them too long and then they wonder "Oh, you can't do anything with these old buildings yes you can if you do it sensitively and if you do it um, with uh, some education uh, behind you so yes I'm looking forward to working with local businesses. Uh, we have a wonderful partner here in the city, uh, in the district, the LaFont Trust. Uh, they are an easement holding organization that knows about old buildings. Um, they all hold over 2000 easements, uh, nearly 2000 easements on properties throughout the city. So they know how to eyeball a building. They know how to advise in terms of what to do and what not to do. So I'm looking forward to engaging them. Uh, as some of our um, area experts uh, on building uh, renovation and rehabilitation
1: that that sounds fantastic. I had no idea that that existed yes. uh, the, the
5: La LaFont La trust, trust. trust yes, named after the gentleman who designed the district right. yeah
1: so uh, our experience on Rhode Island avenue main street has been uh, we've had a couple of of businesses that have recently joined the the community and they've built out or, you know, gone into an older building and to renovate. And, uh, one of them, we, we actually found some, some photos of the, the, the building, uh, probably from the early twenties, uh, 1920s. And they chose when they started renovating the building, they actually chose to, uh, return the facade to as much of its original, um, appearance as possible they could they could see it was kind of buried behind some some bad signage and um, so they really uh, utilized those images in that that history of that building to to tell the story of the building as part of as part of their business uh, you know it's a it's a local grocery now good food market um, but it's they've they've made the history of that building part of their current business story excellent um, and we're we're seeing more of that happen in in our community. Is is that is that happening in other places as well?
5: Oh yes. Fortunately, uh, we have about 70 um, HPRPs or revolving funds around the country, and that gives me an opportunity to learn about what types of redevelopment are happening in historic neighborhoods, on historic corridors. So, yes, there are plenty of places. Uh, One gentleman in Philadelphia, I had the pleasure of working with James Wright. He's the corridor manager of the Lancaster Avenue corridor. And before Lancaster Avenue um, uh, ran the trolley lines through West Philly, it was also a Native American trail. So there's a lot of history uh, in that area, and, and he's working really hard to encourage businesses to um, open up their facades. Uh, he was very uh, influential in a project um, on a landmark building at, uh, at uh, like a five-point intersection there on Lancaster, and when the billboards came down uh, for this particular uh, former bank building, uh, folks just, ah, we'd forgotten how beautiful this building is, and now when we tell folks to meet us, we can actually tell them to meet us at the Land Trust building, um, which was the name of the bank, and they'll, they'll be able to see it when they come oh, to meet yeah. us. So, yeah, they're working hard in Philadelphia on Lancaster Avenue. Uh, of course, I, I can't help but mention my own hometown, Savannah, Georgia, uh, downtown Broughton Street. Oh, lots um, of history there. A lot of work going on on Broughton Street, our main street downtown, uh, to uh, encourage businesses to come and to reuse the historic buildings. Uh, Michael Brown with Durbin Holdings um, was kind of the king of Broughton Street in the early 2000s and did a lot to revitalize those um, facades on, on that corridor. And then also in neighborhoods, you know, a, a lot of important work happening in cities all over. Of uh, Mobile, Alabama has a really strong revolving fund program there where they are actually rehabilitating housing. Uh, in and around and near uh, downtown Mobile, because it's, it's very important to keep people in the rooftops so that they can support the retail. Absolutely. So um, yes, there's a lot happening all across the country, and so I'm um, hoping to to tell more about that as I, I develop the program.
1: So you you mentioned a phrase that is music to any nonprofit organization's ears, which is revolving funds. <laughs>
5: um,
1: so so what what. Are these revolving funds of which you speak, and, yes. and,
5: and talk about them. Tell us. Yes. Uh, these nonprofit preservation organizations have raised money either from private donors or through writing grants, and they put them in a fund um, that is made to revolve itself. So it goes out the door to purchase an endangered building or out the door as a loan to a business who wants to uh, sensitively rehabilitate a facade, and it comes back through the sale of that building to a sensitive owner, or through the repayments of that loan. So these 70 or so revolving fund programs or HPRPs around the country do that um, in an effort to reuse and revitalize historic neighborhoods and corridors. That
1: is a fantastic program. Yes. I did not know about this. Yes. Uh, so uh, in an area, well, let's let's look at, because we're right here, let's look at Rhode Island Avenue, Main Street. Sure. We don't currently have any uh, properties that are designated uh, mm-hmm. as historic mm-hmm. in the commercial districts. So we've got a, a, a couple of apartment buildings that have been designated as historic, and I believe a, a firehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of our commercial buildings have currently been designated. Um, it must, must a commercial building have a historic designation before they might qualify for access to this revolving fund?
5: Yes, most of the programs do ask that the building uh, be found to be eligible for either a local historic designation, uh, your state, and in the case of the district, uh, the federal or the national um, register. So at least to have uh, gone through the process of Um, being found to be eligible, yes. Uh, So the LaFont Trust, which I mentioned right now, they are focusing in Anacostia uh, Ward 7 um, and focusing on um, residential properties. However, uh, they are citywide or districtwide organization and hopefully they'll be looking to expand as their new program um, kind of solidifies. They've uh, been around since about 2012 doing the um, historic property redevelopment and running the their new fund. They've been around in terms of easements for several decades, but they're just now um, getting their feet wet um, as one of those revolving fund or um, historic property redevelopment programs.
1: Would a, would a historic district, um, as if, if the individual businesses aren't necessarily, or individual property owners, I should say, aren't necessarily interested in or have the energy and time to go through the entire process, mm-hmm. Uh if if an if a district is, is designated as a historic district. Yes. That that qualifies?
5: Yes, because within the district you have contributing structures. So what a district is is just basically a um a c- compilation of contributing properties. So each one of those properties uh would be um on the register as a part of that district. So yes, if it's within a district, they would meet that uh eligibility. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Uh,
1: so if if Businesses or commercial property owners have access to to this type of uh, revolving fund to help them with sensitive rehabilitation of buildings. Um, Are there other uh, incentives for a business or a commercial property owner to to really protect those buildings and save a historic building, not not just bulldoze it and put something uh, new and modern in there?
5: There is... um... Uh, the easement, the uh, holding of easements, which is an incentive in that uh, the owner gets a charitable uh, deduction for uh, donating an easement. And what that means is that you, uh, along with the stewarding preservation organization, you donate the value of the front of your property. Um, In some cases, it's all four sides, or the envelope of your property, but you donate the value of the front of your property to this organization, this nonprofit saying that uh, you want it protected and that you want guidance uh, here going forward on what happens to the front of that building and in exchange for donating that value, you get a charitable uh, deduction from the IRS on that so if, nice. if it 's found that your facade is you know valued at you know one hundred thousand dollars then Based on whatever the percentages you would get um, charitable contribution off of your taxes, and the LaFont Trust that I mentioned uh, is a easement holding organization. So you become a steward with them, and they do annual inspections and make sure that you're not um, making any um, major or devastating changes to the to the fa- facade or the front of your your property. So that's something that um, businesses can take advantage of. There is one business um, on. Um, Barracks Row that uh has donated um a facade easement on their particular business uh storefront. So there are some cases here locally where businesses have done that. That's one incentive in in in, in that you, you get something back for it. But there are several techniques that you can use to protect your property without, you know, a designation to the national register or the local register. I mean anyone can, you know, put covenants on their deed that uh, would um, state that whomever owns it in the future would have to be sensitive to the exterior or interior. So there are um, plenty of other ways that you can, you know, protect your property uh, individually if you choose. Gotcha.
1: So uh, if, uh, if our listeners want to find out more about HPRP, yes. tell them how they're going to do that.
5: They can send me an email, um, hprp at savingplaces.org. Uh, And uh, I do my best to try to get back to folks uh, in a couple of days. If not, it's not a 24-hour turnout, let me put turn around let me put that disclaimer Um, but um, yes if they would send me an email to hprp at savingplaces.org I'll be glad to send them links and um, give them information Um, I'm in the process now of connecting folks by phone doing conference calls and other things with other um, revolving fund or HPRP managers to kind of share best cases best practices with other folks so please send me an email
1: Uh, this is a, a fascinating project Uh, Thank you so much, Melissa, for being here with us today, Uh, and I hope that we can get you back in here in the future to talk about some of the wonderful historic preservation opportunities that are happening on Rhode Island Avenue
5: Main Street. Yes, I would like that very much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, and good afternoon.
0: Please be sure to join us next week when we'll be joined by John Kepner of Zeke's Coffee.
1: And our very own council member uh, for Ward 5, Kenyon McDuffie will be joining us in the studio, so please be sure to tune in for that. Head over to Facebook and Twitter. We've got Rhode Island Avenue Radio now on Facebook and Twitter. So, so follow us and, uh, and let us know what you think about the show. Thanks. We'll see you next week.